When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, week 10 is in the books. We also have a coaching tenure that's in the books. How are you, sir? You want to talk about some games, among other things? Yeah, we'll get into the games in a minute. What a wild, wild weekend it was across the conference. Some games that we expected to be good ended up being good, and then some games that we were like, eh, might be a little competitive, got a little bit more competitive than we expected, Joey. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so let's let's start here. Um, before we dig into games, before we dig into the obvious news piece of the afternoon, um, as we start these recap games, what did you learn about the ACC this weekend? Um, as you watch these games, there were, again, there were seven of them here. Was there anything major that you learned about the ACC other than we're going to start the coaching carousel here? We're going to start the coaching carousel, and Boston College might be back in bowl contention? Oh, come on. Ah, man. Dudes to the right, dudes to the left? Ah, playing Syracuse, it turns out, really uh, really helps things <laughs> this year, unfortunately, for Dino Babers. Steve Adazio? Oh, unfortunately for uh, – yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah, um, we're going to get to that here in a little bit. Um Boston College in a uh, not not quite what you'd call a squeaker of a win against Syracuse. So there was that. Um, what I learned, I think, here is that I don't know if I really learned learned this, but there's a couple of these teams that we kind of thought were dead in the water, especially on one side of the ball, and decidedly they are not. Um, they yep. got, they still got something to say here. So that's I guess that's good, and that continues the theme of teams can be any given thing on any given week. I, I suppose here in the ACC this year. That's just the way things are. Uh, you know, this is a – it's a coin flip league. It's a coin flip coastal division. And in a lot of ways, Joey, it turns out it's a coin flip Atlantic division as well. It sure is. It sure is. Um, let's start there. A team in the Atlantic that did not play in any way, shape, or form what we thought we were going to get from them. Um, the Miami Hurricanes 27, Florida State 10. Uh, Mike, whoops. This was, yeah, whoops is right. Uh, this was a disaster for the Knowles from start to finish. Um, we're, we're going to get into the news here shortly. Um, long story short, this game was bad enough. It got Willie Taggart fired, Mike. And that, I, that was something I did not see coming. Maybe we should have in a, in a blowout situation like this, but from, at least from the game perspective for now, this game was not close. The final score would say it was a 17 point game. I think it was, it wasn't even that close. Um, this was a, a blowout. Miami came out and played one of their best games of the year. Um, they, they looked fairly decent, you know, fairly good on offense. Got some big plays out of Jaron Williams in the passing game, and Florida State just had no answers at all, and, and just got steamrolled here on their own on their own field against their biggest rival. And you can see kind of how that ended up and the result it ended up in for the coaching staff. Yeah, Joe, you mentioned that maybe we should have entertained the you know, the game going the way that it did and Willie Taggart getting fired, except you and I didn't do the first part of that sentence, right? We mm-hmm. didn't think that this was going to be a blowout win for Miami. Mm-hmm. We 
you picked Miami to win. I picked Florida State to win. I think we both agreed it would be close. Um, here's the thing. Like, Florida State offensively right now, they've run through Cam Akers all year long. They haven't had any sort of balance, really. Um, they haven't had any sort of consistency, really, at the quarterback position specifically. Alex Hornibrook, 17-24, 135, a touchdown, an interception. Uh, it, it wasn't great. Um, Cam Akers, you know, you thought that we'd see a lot more of, of Cam Akers lining up at lining up at quarterback. They ran that wild Noel thing that they do where they just put Akers in the backfield basically and just let him run right up the middle. Mm-hmm. They, do, they do that a decent bit. The problem is that that's their best offense. And anytime that's your best offense and you're inherently limited in the passing game, no matter who you put behind center, it's really going to be tough. And Florida State's offensive line, while they have improved steadily from last year, they're still not very good. And they regressed to the mean on Saturday, Joey. Boy, that Miami defense really got after Alex Hornibrook. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was very, very difficult for him to – to break away from that pressure, and that's a big reason why they struggled in the passing game even more than they usually do. Nine sacks and 16 tackles for a loss in this game by Miami. I did In this one game, Mike, I did not misspeak here. Um, yeah. This was a mess, yeah, for Florida State. It, it was never really that close. Um, Miami led the game pretty early on and, and just led the thing the whole way. Um, ultimately, Florida State did not have any answers. And as a result, Mike, we found out earlier this afternoon on Sunday – this is the one time, by the way, that we really benefit from being a podcast that like records either late Sunday or on Monday either rather than Sunday morning. Uh, this afternoon, Willie Taggart got fired uh, from Florida State effective immediately. Uh, the staff is expected to not be retained through the you know past the end of the year. Uh, once again, Odell Haggins is going to be the head coach, the interim head coach at the, at the time. Uh, that's not the first time that's been the case for him. Uh, this was, an institution oh, in yeah. Florida State, Odell Haggins. A tradition unlike any other. Um, yep. This, I So one of the aspects of this, Mike, is that Willie Taggart's buyout is expected to be $17 million, which is a pretty obscene amount of money to hand over to somebody to not coach your team. Um, and, and I want to talk about that in a second. The, the, I think they said that that was going to be the second largest buyout in, in college football history, second only to Notre Dame's Charlie Weiss getting close to $19 million by himself. Overall, the whole coaching staff is expected to cost about $20 million to fully buy out and, and get rid of. From that regard, Mike, and especially between that and knowing that this is year two of Willie Taggart's whole coaching era and tenure there at Florida State, I tell me, maybe you disagree, and it hasn't been that pretty. I feel like this is a mistake for Florida State. This feels this feels like this is a a knee jerk reaction, and it is not not well thought out. Or it's 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 going to be really really hard for this to go well and be looked back on as a a good decision, a good move being made by the Knowles. I think this move sets Florida State back three to four years, mm-hmm. um, conservatively. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's an overnight fix. I didn't think it was an overnight fix when he took over. Uh, it sounds crazy because Jimbo Fisher won a national championship at Florida State, and he took the Seminoles to another playoff after that with Jameis Winston at quarterback. Mm-hmm. But after that, they really struggled recruiting the quarterback position specifically. They did not recruit the offensive line very well. Uh, the skill position players were still very good. Um, thank God they landed Cam Akers because Cam Akers, uh, to be honest with you, I guess was keeping Willie Taggart employed. But after six, what was it, 60 
six yards on 22 carries, only you know three yards per carry on Saturday. He didn't do quite enough to single-handedly save Willie Taggart's job like he potentially had done in recent weeks. Um, yeah, this was doomed from the start. I mean, the, the beginning of his coaching tenure didn't get off to great starts. You remember that there were, you know, he had issues determining who his quarterback was going to be. And then, you know, defensively, they had a bunch of issues. And there were questions about the coaching staff even before he got on board fully there at Florida State and who was going to be there supporting him. And he hired Walt Bell. That was controversial as an offensive coordinator. He goes out as a significant favorite in his very first game as head coach last Labor Day, um, uh, you know, about a year and a half ago now, against Virginia Tech at home in Tallahassee. They lose to Virginia Tech in that home opener in the first game of the Tiger era, and they didn't look all that great doing it. And that was the start of the snowball downhill. Um, you saw how badly Florida State played last year. They obviously missed a bowl game for the first time in over 30 years. They're on pace now to potentially miss another bowl game uh, yet again this year. Uh, you know, after especially after that loss to an in-state rival and getting blown out like that against Miami, they've had other numerous close calls. You think of the UL Monroe game earlier this year that went to overtime. <laughs> it's just countless games that Willie Tiger, his coach, unfortunately haven't gone the Seminoles way or haven't looked at as convincing as maybe they should. And all of a sudden you now have to pay a $17 million buyout to this guy. And, you know, it, it costs you a lot of money just to get him in the door uh, from Oregon because he left there early. So you were trying to figure out the, the buyout money there at Oregon. So th there's just a lot of moving parts here. Florida state came up with that money. Uh, it sounds like the boosters from everything I've been reading this afternoon, sounds like the boosters were able to come up with that money relatively quickly uh, between yesterday afternoon and today. Uh, after that blowout loss, the boosters got together and they said, let's shuffle out our money and start writing these checks. And with as bad as Florida State looked yesterday, Joey, it's not a surprise to me that this happened. But with that being said, it surprises me it happened in season. I don't know how... And, you know, we both like uh, podcasting Play Nobody. We listen to Bud Elliott. We read all Bud Elliott stuff. Bud Elliott is Tomahawk Nation, got former Tomahawk Nation mm -hmm. uh, managing editor and, mm -hmm. you know, over at Banner Society now and does a lot of great work. And he talks about how important that early signing period is, right, and mm -hmm. why, you know, programs are starting to shift their focus if they know it's not going to work out with a given coach. You know, maybe it makes more sense to fire a guy in season. You know, so you get more of a jump on that early signing period for that new head coach that comes in. But the way I look at it, Joey, for Florida State, who are they going to get right now, right at this moment? And who are you going to think about lining up who's going to take that Florida State job and be able to hit the ground running in the early signing period? Mm -hmm. So my whole point is, like, even if you're going to fire Willie Taggart, I don't know why you do it in the middle of the season. I think you quit on you quit on the kids, right, in, in essence, because I think – you know, a lot of these guys want to still try to figure out a way to make a bowl game, right? It doesn't look doesn't look great. They're four and five on the year. They still want to try to make this thing work and, and, and try to make a bowl game at least. And by getting rid of the entire coaching staff, these kids don't have the opportunity really to, to make a bowl game, or at least the odds are stacked against them. And I don't think firing Taggart right now will really have all that much of an impact on that early signing period, Joey. There are a bunch of guys decommitting from Florida State already who aren't going to be in the fold next year anyway. I don't think the new guy is going to have a ton of traction just because of the state of the program right now. So even though they move on from Willie Taggart, they pay that huge buyout, 
it's it's all well and good. It's just getting to the point now where like I'm not sure who they're going to be able to bring in, and it's a pretty shocking thing to say considering it's it's Florida State. It's a yeah. it's a blue blood level program, and they're in such shambles right now. You know, just given the state of the coaching carousel really for the program over the last handful of years it's like the last few years of Jimbo and now this disaster with Willie Taggart you know you kind of pull a quick trigger there I just don't really know where they go next I mean there are a handful of guys we can talk about maybe being on the table maybe Mike Norvell at Memphis is a guy I mentioned Joey that I, I know you might think that he might be in over his head there we can we can discuss that there's Dave Clausen at Wake Forest who I, I've been lobbying hmm. to get a big time cop for a while and who's a guy who <laughs> listen. I don't think would be too far in over his head at Florida State. You know, they're at least going to play hard. If they put together a coaching staff that can recruit, that could potentially work there. But my whole point is you got to find a guy and stick with him because now you're at a point where you're paying all this money out to Taggart. You're going to have to pay a decent amount of money to get a guy to come in and fix this thing. And you're going to have to be patient. And Joe, if we know anything about the Florida State boosters, we know that they aren't very patient. And today's action on Willie Taggart's contract is exhibit A. Well, and that's why I, I think that this is just a this is a mistake. This is a misstep entirely. You realize, like, okay, Florida State last year five and seven missed a bowl game for the first time in what is effectively recorded history, right? This year it's not looking great, but there's still a decent chance. Even looking bad against Miami, like Florida State's last three games this year, Mike, it's Boston College on the road. That's winnable. Alabama State at home. That's damn near better be a win yep. and Florida that's going to be terrible but if you win the next two games you're making a bowl and in a lot of ways there is at the very least there's incremental improvement there yep and what I think everyone's kind of you know forgetting to factor in here as well what happened before they hired Willie Taggart Mike Jimbo went really- six and six they really struggled with Jimbo. Yep. It's not like Willie Taggart was starting with a you know a full box full of fireworks, right? To go back to a, another Florida related discussion we've had recently. By Florida State, by Florida State standards, the cupboard was bare when Jimbo left. Completely, and and I realized that a lot of the issues last year, you know, there were some major major issues with the offensive coordinator hire that was made by by Willie when he came in to begin with, and I a lot of my just my take on this whole thing is like. What did you expect? Like, and, and, and if and if Willie wasn't giving it to you, who is? You know, you think that somebody's going to have this as like an eight and four, nine and three kind of program by year two? Who's that? Saban's not leaving Alabama. Yeah, you're not Texas. You know, and if you believe all the rumors from several years ago that he was interested there, like it, it's not going to be Saban. I. I don't know what you think of Ed Orgeron. I don't think it's going to be him. It's it's not going to be Kirby Smart. It's not going to be Dan Mullen. You know, it's depending on who you believe. It's not going to be Urban Meyer. Some people say it would be, but that seems like it's a completely you know, like they're not going to get one of these like seven to ten clear best college football coaches in the country. So who do you think is really going to turn this around so quickly that it's going to make Willie look silly here? Right? Like I don't. I don't know what the ex- expectation is here. I, I really think that this is a mistake. I think the, the the repeated turmoil on the coaching staff is going to be a major issue as you start looking at this. You know, five years from now, you kind of got to pick somebody and, and give them some time. One of the names, honestly, that I've seen a little bit associated with this job here in the last few hours, as well as in, in recent weeks, is Mark Stoops at Kentucky. 
well, he had a really good defense there at Florida State, you know, earlier in the decade and all this stuff. You know how Mark Stoops had a, a nine or ten win year at Kentucky last year? Yep. It was like his fifth year in the program. You know, he got to build it up and, and recruit his guys and install his system, and nobody got all that anxious about it because, well, it's Kentucky football, but also, like, people are willing to give him a little bit of time. And that's that's my biggest issue here is that I don't know firing a guy before he completes his second year, a second year where he reasonably sh- is showing some improvements, what, what more do you want? You know, I don't know. This feels like this is a this is a, a, a bad move. This is only going to further cause issues with Florida State. I mean, they had a good recruiting class going. This was like a top 15 recruiting class by both, you know, major metrics as far as I'm concerned. And yet now you fire the coach, introduce a whole lot of turmoil. That's going to fall apart. Like, I don't, I don't know what the thinking is here. I, I get that they got blown out by Miami. It doesn't look good. That's, a again, your biggest rival on your home field and – everybody's feeling emotional at the game. I'm guessing these buyout discussions started before 7.30 p.m. Eastern time yesterday when the game ended. Like, But this just feels – this is a rash, um, dangerous – it feels like a miscalculation, Mike. That's all I got. Yeah, I, th- I think the uh, – I think the underlying – outside of the team's play on the field, I think the underlying factor here is that he pissed off the wrong people. He didn't yeah. make friends with the boosters. Yeah. He, he pissed off the wrong people. And I think once you do that and then your team doesn't perform, it makes it much easier to make a expensive decision like this one. Right. Mm-hmm. So they make this move and I, I don't buy the urban Meyer stuff either. Plus if urban Meyer wants to come back USC, it seems like a much easier <laughs> cushioning landing spot for him than going to Florida state. I, I don't know why you go to Tallahassee and deal with that mess when you can just roll out to LA and, hang out in the nice 70 degree weather because you know urban Meyer's a real stressed out guy so yeah um yeah but i i don't know i mean like to your point about mark stoops i i saw that name crop up as well and like you mentioned he had time and they were patient with him at kentucky florida state's got to be extremely patient now with this third guy that they're going to hire right because you know jimbo wore out his welcome or whatever and they went six and six and then he dipped town and then you bring willie in after 21 games you fire him and now it's like all right great now we got to bring on another guy. We're paying $17 million for to Willie Taggart for him not to coach. And it's like, what are we going to do now? Because now what if the next guy isn't good in a year and a half? So mm-hmm. then what do you do? Uh, it's a dangerous it's a dangerous cycle here. It's And in some ways, Joey, to be honest with you, like it's, it, it, it's what comes with the territory when you're a program like Florida State. You've won all those national championships. You have the pedigree. You know, you have the tradition there, the, the great tradition at the school. You're a victim of your own success. And then you have boosters who have a lot of money to throw at the program. It's a dangerous mix when things don't go well. So we'll see what they do and see who they shell out money to next. But no matter what, they're going to have to be patient because this move really sets the program back. Now, in my opinion, two or three years because you got to all of a sudden recruit from scratch again, just like Willie Taggart did a year and a half ago. You know, I think about it, Mike, and I, it, it really starts to seem like between Willie's stuff that's happened recently and the things that were basically the end of the Jimbo Fisher era, it, it seems like this program has largely been done in by off-the-field stuff, which is really unfortunate. Yep. Um, yep. But, you know, this is also a little bit of maybe what happens when you let boosters and such get too involved and have too much of a say in what goes on in a very complex organization, you know, so I... I don't know. I we'll, we'll keep an eye on this whole thing as as the coaching search develops. Um, I I wouldn't put it past Florida State to have somebody picked out here in the next couple of weeks. 
you know, not wait till the season's over, especially depending on whoever they're going after, um, whatever their team ends up doing. I don't think they're going to sit here and hire somebody internally. I don't think that's the right move here in a lot of different ways. But there's a there's a chance, Mike, especially knowing where the early signing period is on the calendar, you could have a head coach named here before the season is over. And that would be a first, really, yep. at, at this level of football. But it makes a lot of sense to do so, especially to kind of shore up the recruiting class and have as much time as possible to do that before that early signing window when, like, 70 to 80% of your players are just go ahead and locking it in and, and shutting the whole thing down. So yep. something to keep an eye on. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. It's going to be really interesting next couple of months for Florida State. Yeah, I think on the, uh, on the Week 11 preview show, we should probably come up with a couple of candidates, you know, people that we think are interesting names to consider for this job. Um, maybe we come back and, and talk about that here in a couple of days. Yep. All right. Uh, anyways, Miami 27, Florida State 10. Let's move on, Mike. Uh, maybe the game I think was, well, there were two games that were really the most interesting games of the weekend from an on-the-field perspective. First one, uh, a specific ACC matchup, Virginia 38, North Carolina 31. Uh, not what I expected from Virginia, but they played by far the best offensive game they have played the entire season here, Mike, and it could not have come at a better time. Um, Bryce Perkins was playing outside of his damn mind. This was unbelievable um, what he was able to do in this game. Sam Howell completes 15 passes. They go for a mere 353 yards and four touchdowns, so that's efficient in a way. Um, he averaged 12.2 per attempt, which is really damn good too. This was just a, a very back and forth shootouty type of game, which I really was not expecting to see Virginia play in at this point in the year. But it seems like either, either a Virginia is figuring some stuff out on offense and or B North Carolina's defense is starting to wear down as we get here later into the season, Mike. Yeah, it's uh, death taxes and get-right games against North Carolina's defense. That's <laughs> where we're at now, the North Carolina defense is not very good. Um, they were playing okay, they were fine, and then mid-October hit, and since then it's been ugly. Uh, the defense has not looked very good. Virginia's defense hasn't looked great either. This is, and we mentioned this on the preview, Joey, we thought that Virginia would really miss Bryce Hall. And boy, oh boy, did they really miss Bryce Hall. Mm-hmm. Sam Howell throwing into that secondary was a treat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sam Howell, uh, like you mentioned, he throws four touchdown passes in this football game, goes for 353 yards on 15 completions, which is, uh, that'll play. Um, you know, North Carolina ran the ball pretty well, averaging nearly five yards per carry on the ground. Uh, Deami Brown, six catches for 202 yards and three touchdowns. We Mike, a losing we, effort. I'll throw really. this out here. We have we have an ACC player of the week picked out. Honorary mention, you know, like one B here has got to be Diami Brown. Holy yeah. smokes, what a game from that guy! Only averaged a little under thirty four yards per catch. <laughs> Is that good? It's not bad, Joey. It's not bad. Uh, not bad. Uh, yeah, he was ridiculous. Virginia did not have an answer for him. You would think that Bryce Hall would either cover uh, Deami Brown or Daz Newsom, probably Deami Brown, <laughs> um, just because of the type of receiver he is. Daz Newsom is electric, but he's more of a over-the-middle slot receiver type role. Uh, Deami Brown is a electric, you know, number one receiver type for North Carolina, and mm-hmm. they really miss Bryce Hall's coverage. Uh, obviously, you know, he 
goes out in that Miami game and he's out for the year. And, you know, we were like, ah, Virginia's defense can get by until they play some of these better passing offenses. And they played Louisville, who was able to expose it a little bit. And then now they play North Carolina with Sam Howell and good God. Um, with all that being said, North Carolina's defense is so bad that it doesn't matter. It was back and forth. It was high scoring. Virginia's offense, like you mentioned, getting into a shootout at this point in the year, did not see that coming, especially when you consider how bad Virginia's offense has been running the football specifically. And then winning um, that shootout. And then, yeah, okay, yeah, great point. And winning the shootout. Not not only getting into a shootout, but then winning it. Um, they had 134 yards on the ground. Bryce Perkins <laughs> accounted for all of it, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, I, you know, I don't know. That's kind of a referendum on Virginia's run deep, run offense, which, you know, we knew it was bad coming in. And we knew that Bryce Hall really – or Bryce Perkins, I'm sorry, would have to carry them. And, yep, that turned out to be the case. And Bryce Perkins didn't get injured in this game, which is also a really nice development because he's been pretty getting pretty banged up in some of these games of late. And, you know, you need a guy like Perkins to carry the load for this offense, and he is the guy and the only guy on this Virginia offense that's capable of keeping the chains moving and keeping Virginia competitive. And you would think that North Carolina's defense would have an answer for literally the only guy that they need to stop, and he responds by accounting for almost 500 yards by himself. So mm-hmm. that's why North Carolina lost this game. Uh, tough loss for the Tar Heels. I, you know, I still think they'll probably make a bowl game, which is – good in year one for Mac Brown, but man, there have been a lot of games where you look at North Carolina's defense lately and you're wondering, man, if, if they could just make one or two more stops, it really feels like that Clemson game broke this defense. Cause since then it's been very, very rough. Yeah. No kidding. Uh, by the way, Bryce Perkins accounts for 75% of Virginia's rushing attempts and almost 84% of Virginia's total rushing yards. Mike, <laughs> like yeah. If it's yeah. not clear that just Bryce Perkins is like the main threat on this team, uh, he's it. It's it's the other thing I got to point out here. So the the other guy that had a ridiculous game here, Virginia's Terrell Jana, thirteen catches for one forty six. He did not score, but like he was a, a huge huge factor on the Virginia uh, Virginia offense. I I'm wondering a little bit with as as futile as it has been for Virginia to run the ball, like Wayne Tula Papa finishes this game five carries for twenty one yards and. Once again, Virginia can't really get that much going with anybody in the run game except for Bryce Perkins. Like, yep. maybe you – I don't know if you really twist the offense at this point, but this – this at least put it this way, this is one of the first times I can remember seeing Virginia totally shifting into a more pass-heavy attack. And you can say, you know, oh, well, there was maybe games where they've thrown more passes than they've, they've run it, but, like, this is a game where they led basically the whole game or at least it was tied, you know, this wasn't like a a come from behind. Well, you just got to start chucking it every which way. Like they could have been running the ball if they chose to. And instead it was either Bryce Perkins running it, or it was a passing play. And in a way, isn't that what Virginia's offense should be at this point? We know what they are and aren't good at. And what they definitively aren't good at is having other people run the ball. Why don't teams just do what they're good at? I don't, I don't get it. Like, I mean, I feel I've like we played have NCAA problem. 14 and I've got a pretty good offense on there. And that's what you do. You just do what you're good at. Just do what you're good at. Like, stop overcomplicating it. Just do yeah. what you're good at. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like we have this conversation with multiple teams in the ACC every week. It's like, why don't you just play to your strengths? I, I don't understand it. But yeah, they should throw the ball a little bit more. I agree. There's, there's other questions of why is it that that's the only thing Virginia's good at? Again, last year they were much better at running the ball with Jordan Ellis and some of those guys, but 
you know, I at the end of the day, I mean, this was a, a brilliant game from Bryce Perkins in particular. Uh, Virginia's defense came up with some stops as they needed to, um, especially late in the game. It's weird to think that neither of these teams scored in the fourth quarter. Like, like all the scoring was done by the end of the third, and that's that's kind of bizarre to think about. But this was a very back-and-forth game for quite a while. It was a lot of fun. Um, Virginia, yeah, I. this is the kind of offense that you want to be able to run if you're them. I, I think, really, if you get the ball out onto the perimeter as much as possible to, again, Hashish Dubois and Joe Reed and Terrell Jana and Tanner Crowley, like, get these guys the ball in space. Those are the weapons not named Bryce Perkins that can do some work. So get them the ball, do that, and you see that good things happen. That's you know, that's it. And if you want to run the football and just, you know, do it for some balance, just mm-hmm. run it with Perkins because you're not getting anything out of the running backs. And it just kind of is what it is at this point. Like Wayne Tulipop is not going to get the job done for you. And mm-hmm. some of that might be his fault. Some of that might be on the offensive line. But regardless, I mean, roll with what you're good at, get the ball into playmakers' hands in space, and then see what happens. It's not often you you can look at Virginia's roster and be like, yeah, they got a bunch of playmakers. And Joey, to be honest with you, I was one of those guys who said before the year, my main concern with Virginia was, uh, number one, the rushing attack, which ended up coming true. But number two was their lack of receivers, right? Mm-hmm. Like losing Alameda Zacchaeus, um, you know, losing Jordan Ellis, a running back. Like they had holes to fill on the offense. They were able to fill Zacchaeus' shoes with obviously Joe Reed taking on a bigger role throughout the year. Uh, Hasis Dubois has been very good for most of the year. He's been consistent and solid and, you know, he's been everything you need out of a number two pass catcher. But then, you know, you, you come into this game and Terrell Jana out of nowhere has 146 yards on 13 catches, which uh, way to come out of your shell, buddy. Right. Mm-hmm. Like all of a sudden Virginia has more playmakers. Than maybe we gave him credit for, maybe at least I gave him credit for. So get the ball to those guys. Just find a way to get enough of a running game to keep your balance. And, figure it out on defense and piece it together and you should win the coastal that way but we'll see i was gonna say that's that's maybe the only other thing i've got here is the big takeaway here is that virginia is clearly in the driver's seat in the coastal division um they've got games remaining at home against georgia tech i'm just gonna go ahead and mark that as a win for virginia for a myriad of reasons that we'll get to here shortly they've got a bye week they've got a home game against liberty and then they've got the game against virginia tech and that is at home or in Blacksburg? Sorry, that's that's at home. That's at home. So they're playing the rest of their season in Charlottesville. They won't leave Charlottesville again until they presumably maybe go to Charlotte for the ACC championship. So at this point, they have their 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 uh, their destiny is fully in their own hands. Which, by the way, I don't know if you saw that Chip Kelly quote about team of destiny or whatever and controlling your own set of events and everything else. And then gives like the finger guns and just gets up and leaves the press conference. That was great. Legend. Um, the thing is, Virginia Tech has four conference games left, one being that Virginia game, but several others. If Virginia Tech beats Virginia, that's at this point, that's basically the, the Coastal Championship game. Virginia Tech would have to lose twice between now and then for Virginia to be able to just walk into that game as the Coastal champ. Um, so I don't know. There's there's chances that that happens. I mean, Virginia Tech has Wake Forest at Georgia Tech, home against Pittsburgh. Like any of those can be lost at this point by the Hokies. Yep. But the thing is, they got to lose two of them for that that Thanksgiving weekend game against Virginia to not decide the Coastal Division. So at this point, I think that's what we're looking for in terms of who's going to win the division is is 
that last game of the of the season. Um, other than that, Virginia's got the tiebreaker over Pittsburgh. They've got a tiebreaker over North Carolina. Miami has another loss on the on the books. I mean, it's Virginia's in the driver's seat here for sure. If you just beat Vir- Virginia Tech at the end of the year, that's it. Yeah, which I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> I mean, it's the ACC Coastal, Mike. Are you suggesting anything could go wrong? Nothing. That's correct. All right. Yeah, huge win for Virginia. It just at the time that we really thought they might be kind of dead in the water. Um, so naturally, they decided to show up there. So Virginia 38, North Carolina 31. Let's move on, Mike. Your Virginia Tech Hokies. Oh, uh, they led this game through 59 minutes. The problem is that the game lasts 60. Yep. Notre Dame 21, Virginia Tech 20. Um the the Hokies again. They led twenty to fourteen through fifty nine minutes of gameplay. Notre Dame finishes this game with an eighteen play, eighty seven yard touchdown drive. I mean, the Hokies made them absolutely earn it, and they did. And uh, the Irish escape here, but the Hokies with a near miss. Huge game for Virginia Tech to just even just to be that close. We're I've got some thoughts here. I'm going to let you go on it, but at the very least, Mike. Virginia Tech a month ago would not have been in the spot. They are playing way better than they were uh, earlier this year. They are. Um, let's start here. The defense, I thought, played very well overall. Mm-hmm. Um, the second half, it got a little bit dicey. Uh, Jermaine Waller gets thrown out for targeting. That really hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, they lose Taiwan Garba at their talented defensive end to injury. Uh, he got knocked out of the game in the second half. That was pretty significant as well. Um Caleb Farley had to leave the game towards the end um, when Notre Dame was on that final, what ended up being the final go-ahead touchdown drive there with 30 seconds to play. Um, Farley has had an excellent bounce-back season after a pretty rough freshman year. As Virginia Tech's starting cornerback, he's been much better this year, so that was pretty significant as well because it just kind of piled on to everything else Virginia Tech had going on on defense. Um, The Hokies defense overall did a pretty good job, I thought, you know, they slowed down Notre Dame's rushing attack. Obviously, 38 carries for 106 yards. That's only 2.8 yards per rush for Notre Dame. Uh, Ian Book ends up throwing for 336 yards, but he was 29 to 53. He struggled throughout most of the game uh, to really get any sort of consistency going. He, you know, it was really up and down for him. I thought Virginia Tech's pass rush overall did a pretty good job from start to finish in this football game. And I think Bud Foster deserves a lot of credit. He's receiving a bunch of criticism today because he'd gotten to the prevent on the final drive. He did come out and say after the game that due to a lot of the injuries that Virginia Tech had in the secondary um, and, and then up front, that's why they were only rushing three. I, I still don't buy that. I mean, at least rush four. They were rushing four throughout much of the game and still getting enough pressure on Ian Book. Rushing three on the final drive and laying all of your secondary back in coverage, I just don't agree with that at all. Um, I think that's a big reason why Virginia Tech is sitting on the wrong side of this one at the end of the day. Another big reason why Virginia Tech lost this game, in my opinion, everybody wants to talk about the officiating. I thought the officiating was bad both ways. I'm not really going to sit here and, and talk about the officiating. It's, it's a waste of time for me. Virginia Tech went 9 of 28 through the air in this football game, and a lot of that has to do with Quincy Patterson being a raw passer. Quincy Patterson had to start the game. You'll remember Joey Hendon Hooker got knocked out of that North Carolina game, mm-hmm. uh, sprained his knee. He was practicing for mo- most of the week, Um they thought that he might be able to go, you know, the medical staff ended up saying, you know what, let's hold him out. Let's, let's play this safe because, you know, they got the home stretch of four ACC games that you just mentioned. So there's still a lot in front of tech. And when you look at this game on paper, it was like, why would, 
look like it's going to be tough for Tech to compete anyway. Just, you know, Notre Dame's a top 20 team. They, they've been not great, but they've been pretty good all year. Um, this is a tough game for Virginia Tech to win anyway. Why put Hendon Hooker out there at less than 100%? Let's make sure he's healthy for the stretch run. I'm completely and totally behind that. A lot of criticism from the fan base today on the Virginia Tech side comes out as, you know, the play calling was bad. Well, the play calling was overly conservative for a number of reasons. And I'm not one to sit here, and, and Joey, I've, I've talked about the play calling on this podcast multiple times. You know, I'm not one to sit here and just be scanning for the play calling, right? And, you know, I'm not going to be the last guy on the bus, you know, for Brad Cornelson by any stretch of the imagination. With that being said. Definitely not a Cornelson stand. Yes, correct. With that being said. He was dealt a difficult hand coming into this football game. Mm-hmm. Quincy Patterson is not a great passer of the football. And a lot of people are saying, well, oh, Cornelson and Fuente, they're supposed to be quarterback gurus and quarterback geniuses and all that. Joey, Quincy Patterson is a redshirt freshman. He was a late bloomer in high school. He was, everybody saying, oh, he's a four-star elite 11. How can he not be a good thrower of the football? He was in a predominant, and you see this all the time, he was a predominantly rush-heavy offense in high school. He was a late-blooming four-star quarterback who performed well at the Elite 11 camp well enough to get upgraded to a four-star recruit after that camp. Um, He was a raw passer coming into Virginia Tech. He continues to be a raw passer. And he was 4 for 17 passing the ball in the first half. There is a reason why Brad Cornelson chose to keep the ball on the ground more than put it in the air in this football game, Joey. Mm -hmm. Um, If a guy is 4 for 17 passing in the first half, why would he want to throw the ball more than he absolutely has to? Um, there were a number of passes that were dropped, sure, so the stats could have looked a little bit better. There were also a handful of passes that could have been intercepted, and, of course, one that was intercepted in desperation there towards the end. Um, Tech had no time on the clock. I'm not going to put that on Patterson. Um, I'm not going to put it on the coaching staff. I thought they had the, the players as ready to play as you could, considering the circumstances, especially – on offense, not having Hennon Hooker, I thought Virginia Tech did a very good job considering all of that. And I thought Quincy Patterson was very good in the running game once again. I thought his decision-making overall was pretty good. Even in the passing game, I know he was 9-28, to but I thought overall, for the most part, he made the right decisions. But it's just one of those things, Joey. Notre Dame is a very talented team, and you let them hang around at home, and they, they bit you in the end. And Virginia Tech's defense is playing a lot better. I think there's a lot of promise for the rest of the season. Um, a lot of people are putting this, uh, not a lot, but portions of the coaching, uh, portions of the fan base are putting this on the coaching staff today. I'm not going to be in that camp. Um, I think you have to be happy with the coaching staff for even putting tech in this position, because like you mentioned, Joey, a month ago, tech would not have even been in the spot where they would be competing with a top, a top 20 Notre Dame team on the road. Um, this is a very, very, uh, promising game for Virginia Tech fans and for the Virginia Tech program moving throughout the rest of the season because it's been very up and down. But the fact they were able to go on the road and compete against a team in South Bend that is likely going to win nine or ten games again this year for like the fifth or sixth year in a row Mm -hmm. is very encouraging for a program that many thought was dead in the water about a month ago. So I think things are trending in the right direction. I do think there are plenty of things that Virginia Tech needs to clean up specifically in the passing game. I think getting Hendon Hooker back, assuming he's healthy enough to play against Wake Forest, all signs are pointing to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that will be really helpful. But I think the defense needs to absolutely play as well as they did against Notre Dame against Wake Forest next Saturday in Blacksburg because Wake Forest is bringing a top 10 ranked offense to Blacksburg and Wake Forest can put a lot of points up in the hurry. If that defense doesn't play well and doesn't bounce back and respond uh, in the manner that we've seen him respond over the last month or so, 
it's going to be a really rough game in Lane Stadium next Saturday. So Tech better be ready. But overall, a very encouraging performance. Mike, I'm going to say this, and this isn't going to be this isn't going to sound very nice. Um, if you're a Virginia Tech fan, you're not allowed to be mad about losing this game. I agree. And and the it, it doesn't you're not allowed to be mad at the coaching staff. You're not allowed to be mad at the players. You're not allowed to be mad. Virginia Tech shouldn't have won this game. They, this game nope. should not have been that close at all. Virginia Tech got outgained by 200 yards in this game. Like, <laughs> this was not c- particularly close. They were lucky to be in it at all. Yep. And the, the play that completely changed this game was Notre Dame has the ball on, like, the two-yard line right before yep. halftime, hands it off, a fumble picked up by Divine Diablo, runs it all the way back for a touchdown. That's the difference between Virginia Tech having a lead and being down. Pause. Yeah. Joey, what was Virginia Tech's post-game win expectancy in this football game? I'd have to look at the top of your head. I'd have to look at what it is. I would guess it was less than 10. 1%. Yeah. There you go. Like the fact that that Notre Dame had to score in the last minute of the game to win is in itself an aberration, right? That should not have been the case at all. Notre Dame has by far been a great red zone offense all year. They turned it over multiple times in the red zone. One of them, again, a fumble that not only Virginia Tech recovered, but then turned into a touchdown of their own. That's a 14-point swing in a game that Notre Dame won by one. Like, that's what I'm saying here is that this should not have been a game at all, and yet it was for some very, very lucky elements um, that worked in the Hokies' favor. So... I, I don't I, I don't mean to disparage what Virginia Tech did here. It was a good game for the Hokies. You know, they played well, especially defensively. You know, we say that they were in prevent defense there at the end. Once again, the, the game-winning drive for Notre Dame went 18 plays. That doesn't happen if they're moving the ball at ease, with ease, and they weren't. Um, Ian Book was having a hard time. He was completely uncomfortable. Virginia Tech's defense was not doing that to teams of anything near this caliber a month ago. Again, so there's there's been some real improvement there. I think there's a lot of positives that can be taken from this. But at minimum, you're not allowed to be mad if you're a Virginia Tech fan. It's not that they they weren't just lucky to almost win. They were kind of lucky to cover in this game, in a game where they were 17.5-point yeah. underdogs. Yep. You know, they, they, they were that close to winning, but really they maybe shouldn't have covered. So... That's all I'm saying is that in, in a game like this where the numbers work out the way they do, you know, Virginia Tech caught enough breaks to damn near win the game. But the fact that they didn't, it's I, – I understand as an Atlanta sports fan being really disappointed and upset and all these things, but angry is just not, not the right response, I would say. Um, this is a game yep. that they should have been beaten badly, and they were really lucky to be in, in it as much as they were up until the very end. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think the one other thing to mention, Joey, um, in this football game, too, is, I mean, like you mentioned, Virginia Tech probably had no business um, being in this football game, really, just by sheer nature of how things went down. But when you think about all the opportunities that Notre Dame had to put this game away, and you think about all of the plays that Virginia Tech's defense made, it really says a lot about the resiliency of the players, the resiliency of the coaching staff. The fact that these players are playing hard for this coaching staff tells you a lot. Mm-hmm. And this is a coaching staff that had Joey, the Hokies in ACC championship in year one under Fuente. Mm-hmm. They nearly won 10 games in year two under Fuente. Last year, they had a team predominantly filled with freshmen that didn't play all that well, but found a way to make a bowl game. 
And then, Joey, once again this year, a lot of freshmen and sophomores playing again, and they're starting to play better here as we get into the month of November. I'm really interested to see how this last third of the season goes to Virginia Tech. It's going to tell you a lot about the Justin Fuente era in Blacksburg, because if you get a really tough last four games here with Virginia Tech, say Virginia Tech found a way to go 1-3, and 0-4, oh not make a bowl game, right? Then we're going to be, once again, talking about Justin Fuente. Is he the right guy for the job? Is the coaching staff? Uh, all this stuff, right? But if Virginia Tech finds a way to go 3-1, and one, maybe they extend the UVA streak. Maybe they find a way, even in a, in a you know, by overall being a mediocre team, finding a way to make the ACC championship game and get the doors blown off of them by Clemson, right? Mm-hmm. But you found a way to win the division again in a mediocre, you know, a mediocre year, a mediocre team, but it's a stepping stone for the players. It's another confidence builder for the players because you can't take away from the fact that they won a division title and went to the conference championship. Just like you can't take it away from the mediocre Pittsburgh team we saw a year ago, Joey. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is a defining final third of the season for Virginia tech and for Justin Fuente and kind of where this era is going to go. I, I think that the whole Fire Fuente thing, if it was ever really on the table, I think it has to stay on the table in case they don't go two and two over these last four games. Yep. And I, I agree. And one and three or worse is on the table. Yep. <laughs> Your last four games, home against Wake, at Georgia Tech, who Fuente's never beaten, home against Pittsburgh, at Virginia, who again is in the in the driver's seat here. So like I could give you reasons that they would lose any of those games at this point. Yep. Um, and, and so it's, I, I don't necessarily think that they would go less than two and two. Um, I think two and two, three and one is pretty reasonable here, but who knows what you're going to get from Virginia tech at the end of the day. Who knows? You know, nobody knows. They play in the coastal. Yeah. It's on the table. So anyways, g- good showing from Virginia tech. This is a way closer game than we thought it would be. And there were numerous opportunities for Notre Dame to really run away with it. The fact that Virginia Tech was able to keep it close, again, by luck or whatever else, is, is meaningful and it is a positive sign. So there there is a lot of good to be taken away from that if you're a Hokies fan. But anyways, yep. N- Notre Dame 21, Virginia Tech 20, and a bit of a heartbreaker there in South Bend. Um, let's move on, Mike. Let's talk about my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets who fell to Pittsburgh 20-10. to This is the homecoming game in Atlanta. In a weird way, losing by 10, this is a, a major disappointment for Georgia Tech uh, in this game. Georgia Tech got three turnovers off Pittsburgh in the first half, turned it into a grand total of seven points. Um, the first couple turnovers, they I think they missed a field goal and ended up having to punt anyways on, on another one. Um, by the way, one of the turnovers, interception, Pitts, Pitts receivers sometimes seem like they couldn't catch a cold if they were naked in a blizzard, but... At the end of the day, uh, Georgia Tech's defense caught the ball. Um, yeah, not a good showing from Georgia Tech here. Um, they really, really struggled on offense. James Graham finishes 3 of 13 for 57 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Those 57 yards, 51 of them came on a touchdown to Amari and Brown. Um, and other than that, it was an ugly day. Pitt's defense looked really good in this game, but Georgia Tech's offense was not doing a whole lot right. We had a Lucas Johnson sighting here late in the second quarter that you know went into the second half. He ends up going out of the game with a pretty rough-looking injury. He might have a concussion or something. He's had a an injury-laden history. Uh, we saw Jordan Yates warming up on the sideline. Never got him in the game. 
Um, Jordan Mason, bit of a rough day, 15 carries, 56 yards. Georgia Tech's defense continues to play some pretty fantastic football, and I really believe that if if they had an average offense – between that and this defense, they might be able to like make some noise in the coastal and, and threaten to go to Charlotte, right? Like the defense is playing well, and 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 God bless them doing the Lord's work, you know, <laughs> playing defense while the offense struggles to get first downs, much less points. I, so there's there's that, but overall, that yeah, rough day for Georgia Tech's offense, and we kind of knew it would be against Pitt's defensive front in particular. They've been really good all year, and then they continue to be. Um, other than that, I, I don't know. Pitt ran the ball pretty well. AJ Davis, Vincent Davis, the uh, law firm of Davis and Davis, twenty-two carries for like one hundred and forty-two yards. That's pretty good. Um, I, I don't know. Maurice for French had a pretty big day. Eleven catches, seventy-one yards. He ran a couple punts back. He he was pretty successful there. Pittsburgh's in a better spot than Georgia Tech is right now. The offense still is what it is for Pittsburgh, um, but. If you're trying to hang your hat on something for Georgia Tech, it's the defense. The offense still clearly a work in progress. Um, reminder that 21 points against Miami came off of a scoop six and a uh, fake punt. So yeah. only one real offensive touchdown there before overtime. So I don't know what's, what else to say here. It was not was not pretty for Georgia Tech. And, again, kind of remains clear that the, the coaches are treating this as a year, year zero situation. Uh, Georgia Tech wins the turnover battle. They lose the game mm-hmm. by 10. Um, they were plus know. three in turnovers at one point and still losing by double digits. That's harrowing. That's that's where um, we're at. <laughs> that's where we're at. I uh, I think the defense is pretty good, <laughs> to your point. like I think Georgia Tech's defense is pretty good. The issue I have is the offense is so bad that even in year two under Jeff Collins, I have no idea what that's going to look like. I'm not sure that he does either, mm-hmm. um, which worries me about Georgia Tech. Now, we we do know this is going to be a little bit of a lengthy rebuild here. We, we know that. But offensively, ugh, yikes. And you know what? It, with all that being said, like they had started to run the ball a little bit better. Jordan Mason – only getting 15 carries in this game feels like a crime. Um, and the reason why it feels like a crime is because he's been pretty good every time he's touched the ball and he had 15 carries for 56 yards in this game. So he was averaging almost four yards a carry again. And that's been really good. So maybe just keep trying to establish some sort of identity on offense because right now it's put the ball in the air some, run it some, all these weird misdirection type plays on offense. And it's just kind of a jumbled mess. Uh, but defensively, Georgia Tech's playing well. And I think that Jeff Collins is defensive-minded coach. Having them playing this well in year one is really, really encouraging. Uh, the problem is that the offense is so, so, so bad. I mean, we we joke about other teams nationally on a regular basis. We talk about, like, Northwestern, for example, like phenomenal defense, setting offense back to, like, World War One. That's what I'm worried about with Georgia Tech here for a while because, like, I don't know – where this offense all of a sudden hits a point where they just start taking off and they're like just a competent unit on that side of the football. Maybe it's next year, maybe it's year three, but I think the one encouraging thing you can hang your hat on if you're a Georgia Tech fan is that defense is really good in year one, or at least good enough in year one to have a really good starting point and a baseline that you get into year two, year three, year four, the defense still playing while the offense starting to steadily improve. And then worst case scenario, you're like, 
Boston College for a couple of years before you then get back to like the eight or nine, 10 win Georgia Tech team that we've seen in the past. So maybe that's kind of how we look at this. And that's how we kind of usher in the, the era of Jeff Collins. But offensively, it's really, really bad right now. And they've been showing some signs in some of these games here recently. But this was a really, really poor performance by the offense here on Saturday against Pittsburgh. And, you know, Pittsburgh overall didn't really play all that great, but still found a way to win by double digits, which is surprising to me. Mike, I will say, I would uh, I would personally stand for the idea that Georgia Tech's offense is better than Northwestern's. Northwestern's yes, offense. I agree. I had to I explain agree. to my wife that Northwestern's offense. I, I would call it a dumpster fire, but a fire can actually hurt you in some regards. So it's really just like an inconvenient dumpster of an offense. It yep. is so horrific. We've actually seen some sparks here and there from Georgia Tech that is at yeah. least a little bit of a positive. So there's that. Yeah, I agree. Um, but that was the, the big thing I was thinking about here, Mike, was that obviously this year is, is a total – chalk it up as a total loss at this point. I mean, they're probably going to win – I think they win one more game. Um, and, and I think a lot of people tend to agree. And, and that one spot, Mike, that I've been talking about since we started looking at schedules back in, what, like July? Yep. Y- you know the game I'm looking at, right? Without it in front of me, please hold because I'm pulling it up. <laughs> tell me the game I'm going to be able about. to tell you right now. Oh, I know. And I remember now, November 21st, short week, NC State. Thursday night at home against NC State. NC State has been a total mess. I am calling my shot right now. Georgia Tech's going to win that game. Yep. Um, the thing that I've been thinking about, though, with this team in particular and kind of what I expect moving forward, 2020 is not really going to be much better for Georgia Tech. They're going to have a little bit more of the personnel worked in. Some of the freshmen will be sophomores and all that. That's fine. The year I think that this could be a – legit coastal contender if a bunch of other teams don't get their stuff figured out between now and then i think 2021 this team could be pretty nasty defensively i expect them to be really really good in year three especially again with some recruiting under their belt and, and the system all well in play it really just becomes a matter of can the offense get there so much of this is going to come down to fixing the offensive line which they're, they're working on through recruiting and some some things um schematically I think they'll be okay you know they've got some playmakers they've got some skill talent there 2021 is the year that I'm looking at that I think this can be a really good team between talent and and getting everybody in line as well as kind of the way the schedule sets up I think as much as anything between still trying to figure some things out offensively next year and then the way the schedule sets up I think it's still going to be a total mess but the year after that I think will be a a that's the year that either Collins is going to be making his money or we're going to be looking elsewhere, I think. Yeah, because that's that's a true pivot year. Even if it's not like a year where they contend in the Coastal and it doesn't end up being that good, mm-hmm. it's a pivot year. I mean, they better be winning seven or eight games by year three, in my opinion. Um, with as well as this defense is played, they're kind of setting the bar already. Mm-hmm. Um, where you get a couple of years from now and you're like, man, if this team is – even if they went like seven and five, for example, Joey, but they were like in some of these tighter games against good teams and, you know, just a couple things didn't go their way. You at least have some promise going into the fourth year. Yeah. Um, that's where I think this absolutely needs to be. It's a pivot year um, two years from now. And I think next year is going to be ugly, but I think it could be a little bit better. Two years from now is definite pivot year. It's does, is this going to work at Georgia Tech with Jeff Collins? It's going to mm-hmm. be that sort of situation. And that doesn't mean fire him after year three. That just means outlook going into year four. It's kind of made or broken in year three with the success they either do or don't have. Yep. One other note I have in this game, Mike, before we move on, Kenny Pickett, 
and it's kind of a combo note here. Uh, 25 of 34, that's pretty good. 204 yards. Not good. Not that good. Six yards per attempt. Not good. Bad. Um, scored a touchdown, that's fine. Two interceptions. Not not the biggest deal, I'll say, because one of those interceptions went straight through the hands of a tight end and into the outstretched arms of Tariq Carpenter. So, once again, some of Pitt's receivers sometimes couldn't catch a cold if they were naked in a blizzard. Yep. The other interception that he threw was it was kind of an underthrown deep ball that Wanye Thomas had a ridiculous one-handed interception on, and that was pretty filthy. So, I, I mean, the Pitt passing attack, I, I still have problems with it. I'm not going to say this was a good game from Kenny Pickett. I'll say the two interceptions were, you know, you could take it or leave it. But I don't know why Pitt is so in, in like insistent on passing the ball when they just cannot, cannot be efficient with it. I don't know. I don't get it. Not at all. I mean, they, they really can't be efficient with it. That's the bottom line. I mean, yeah. it says it all. We're nine games into the season for Pitt, and they just can't do it, and yet they insist on it. So that's what it is at this point. Uh, Pitt 20, Boston, Pitt 20, Georgia Tech 10. Let's move on. Boston College 58, Syracuse 27. Boston College comes up 12 feet short of 500 yards in this game. Uh, close to a third of a mile on the ground for the Eagles here. I, really good showing from them. They ran the ball extremely effectively. A.J. Dillon goes for you know close to 250 yards, three scores. David Bailey, 172 yards and two scores. That's all good. Fine for Boston College, good showing, yada, yada, yada. To me, Mike, the big showing here is Syracuse. Syracuse ain't it this year. They don't got it. Before we get into how bad Syracuse is, Boston College sets a school record 691 yards of offense. They average 9.2 yards per play. And the 496 yards rushing that Boston College accrued in this football game, Joey, most ever allowed by the Orange. Hmm. Seems bad for Syracuse and good for Boston College. Yep. Um, Boston College scored 34 points in the second quarter, Mike. Joey, Boston College was 22 yards away from the rushing record for their school. So, I mean, that's how bad – Syracuse had multiple school records put up against them in this football game at home. Mm-hmm. And, Joey, you know what? Syracuse is a favorite. I didn't get the line. Remember, I didn't really understand why. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is a really weird line. Yep. It was like the Syracuse-Maryland game earlier this year. I was like, man, that line stinks. I should probably bet Maryland, but I'm going to take Syracuse. Same. This time, it was reverse psychology. I was like, you know what? Syracuse, three-point favorite. I don't really get that. BC, not very good, but a better team than Syracuse this year. I should take BC, right? No, I'm going to take I'm going to take Syracuse. I, I learned the hard way back in week two. I got Vegas this time. I got to beat. <laughs> Whoops. Whoops. Um, Ew. Way wrong. Uh, they lose by 31 in a game that was, hey, a little bit competitive after the first quarter. Boston College outscores Syracuse in the second quarter by a score of 34 to 3, Joey. Mm-hmm. 34 to 3. That's where the game turned. It was it was 44 to 20 at the half. Um Dennis Grosell, Joey. Now we talk about we talk about no no Anthony Brown, right? We we talk about oh Boston College's passing attack, they're doomed. Um, we saw it in action a couple times. I saw it in person last Saturday against Clemson. I was like, oh man, this is not good for BC. I don't know how much of this is Clemson's elite defense and how much of this is just BC not being able to throw a downfield pass. Um, Dennis Grosell, eight of ten, one ninety five, three touchdowns. That's efficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I'm not calling Dennis Grozel the second coming of Doug Flutie, but what I am telling you is that Syracuse's <laughs> defense is really, really bad. Uh, A.J. Dillon, like you mentioned, 242 yards, three touchdowns. David Bailey, his counterpart, 16 carries, 172 yards, and two touchdowns. David Bailey averages almost 11 yards per carry in this football game. I don't know what to think of Syracuse, Joey, but I think they're going 0-4 in the ACC this year. I don't think they're winning a conference game. Yeah, if not this one, I, I don't know what's going to happen for Syracuse here. You've got at Duke, at Louisville, home against Wake. I, I don't think any of those is a win. especially. Not not only can you not win this one, you can't even make this competitive. Nope. So this is the thing, Mike, is that in the second quarter, Boston College starts out with a 64-yard touchdown pass. That was the end of the first drive of a five-drive span where Boston College ran a grand total of 19 plays for 305 yards and 35 points. Is that bad? It's not good. It ain't good. Um, excuse me, 34 points. Sorry. Um Still a lot. Five touchdowns in 19 plays for over 300 yards. Like Syracuse, it seems like all they've ever had to hang their hat on this year is their defense. They just completely, completely fell apart in this game. Um, this was a, a total abject disaster for this defense here. Um, I mean, in recent weeks, they've allowed... Let's see. Let's go back to the Western Michigan game. They've allowed a little bit less than seven yards per play, a little over two yards per play to Holy Cross... Uh, 5.6 to North Carolina State, 4.96 to Pittsburgh, 6.1 to Florida State, nine and a quarter to Boston College here. Whoops. They're getting damn near a first down per play in this game. That is a horrific showing from this defense. Yeah, this is a bad look for Syracuse. And we were talking a little bit earlier, and I'll, I'll leave it with this. You know, we talk about this Florida State job opening, and, and nine months ago, if this happens, who's the, like, some of the first names that come to mind, one of them is Dino Babers. Right. I think it was Josh Parcell that mentioned if Dabo retires tomorrow, who's the first call they make is play Dino Babers. Mike, this program was four and eight, four and eight, and then like ten and three, and now I don't think they're going to win four games this year. Yeah, they were this completely is... dependent on Eric Dungey, and without him, they got like nothing going in the Carrier Dome here. Absolutely nothing. It's pretty concerning, and you know what, Joey? I can't wait to talk to our boy Nate Mink of Syracuse.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, football beat writer that we had on before the year to preview the orange. He was very gracious with his time. He was very, very good with us. One of our better guests that we've had on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to talk to him after this season because he was one of those guys who said, you know what? The coaching staff is actually feeling good about the progress of the defense. They actually think the defense could be decent this year. Whoops. Ouch. Whoops. <laughs> oh Goodness. no. It's yeah. not good. Yeah. That's going to be a problem. Yeah, this was a total blowout. Bad, bad for Syracuse. Good for Boston College. Um, that's all I got. 58-27, the Eagles winners over the Orange here. What is it, the Orange Eagle Trophy? Is that right? Uh, uh, is that a thing? That seems like something like the internet made up. It's just the Eagle Trophy now. <laughs> that thing ain't going back to upstate New York for a while. Nah, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't flying to Syracuse. New no. 58-27, they're Boston College winners. Uh, last conference game we got here, Mike. Number 23, Wake Forest, 44, NC State, 10. Speaking of teams that might be might be dead here, uh, NC State, this was a this was an absolute blowout. This was, I, I believe it was 21-0 at Wake Forest with like five minutes to go in the first quarter. Um, this was an absolute boat racing. NC State, by the way, 
So Wake Forest scores a touchdown on their first drive. They kick off. NC State drops the kickoff. Wake Forest has the ball inside the 10. Scores. Uh, four plays. Interception for NC State after that. Wake Forest, eight plays, 74 yards, touchdown. And yeah, with about three and a half minutes to go in the first quarter, they led by 21 to nothing. And this thing was not close from there. The most important thing I can say about this game, Mike, this was a 34 to 10 game at halftime. Total yep. in the game was 60. And boy, would you bet it went under. Unbelievable. It Ten stayed under. Ten points scored. Um, Pick of the week came in, baby. Sam Hartman didn't even play for Wake Forest. Yeah. Well, he did. Um, he did in the second half. Uh, yeah, he just handed the ball off, though. Michael Kern was in, which uh, weird. Um, oh, wow. I uh, I saw a white quarterback out there. I assumed it was Sam Hartman, but no, it was Michael Kern. You're right. A little weird, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it wasn't Sam Hartman. It wasn't. Um, Jamie Newman, you know, we knew when Jamie Newman was back out that he was going to be the starter. Um 25 of 38, 287, three touchdowns. You know what's funny about this, Joey? Like, Wake Forest offense had a, had a good day. Like, they were they were fine, right? But, I mean, it wasn't even really like they were spectacular. Um, we've seen them actually play better offensively at points this season, and it didn't matter. Uh, NC State, Joey, there's a saying, when you have three quarterbacks, you have no quarterbacks. Um, NC State has now gone through – Bailey Hawkman, former Florida State quarterback, they have gone uh, through Matthew McKay, didn't work out, and then they just said, you know what, let's throw Devin Leary out there. Devin Leary lost. Devin Leary um, doesn't know what direction the offense is even supposed to be going in. Um, mm, 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 mm. He, uh, yeah, 17 of 45, 149 on touchdown, two picks. Very bad. Check the math uh, there real quick. That's not quite 38% completion. Not quite, which not quite, good. not quite three and a half yards per attempt. It's not good by any stretch. Three point mm-hmm. three yards per attempt, actually. Which oh man, woof. Uh, NC State running the ball was actually okay. Twenty six for one sixteen. That's four and a half yards per carry average. Um, Wake Forest defense played well, but I don't know if it's really playing well as much as like NC State's offense just being totally inept at this point. Um, Speaking of teams who probably won't make the bowl game, I uh, don't think NC State's going to get there, Joey, or at least it's going to be a challenge. Speaking of that Thursday night game at Georgia Tech, Mike. Yep. NC State's four games remaining. They got to go two and two across. Clemson at home? Nope. Nope. Louisville at home? Probably nope. not. Georgia Tech on the road? Mm, maybe. And UNC at home? Probably mm-hmm. not. Probably not. So, yeah, NC State might be missing a bowl game. And, gosh, wouldn't it just be a shame if Dave Doran didn't make a bowl game here in year one without Ryan Finley and Eli Drinkwitz and all those guys? And it almost looked like maybe I was a little bit right about how questionable he is as a coach. Who would have thought? Who'd have thunk it, Mike? Thank God they beat Syracuse 16-10 to here a couple weeks ago because otherwise this would be looking way worse. How did that even happen? It shows you how bad Syracuse is, by the way. Yeah, really. Uh, yeah, rough showing for NC State. They just got completely blown out to begin with. Um, they talk about crockpotting. This was like a searing. Um, they just This thing was cooked in about five minutes, and it was on a plate being eaten by Wake Forest. So, anyways. Uh, Big time microwaving. Big time microwaving. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a microwaving. 
Wake Forest 44, NC State 10. Last one, Mike. Number four, Clemson 59, Wofford 14. Biggest takeaways I have. I have two of them. Number one, Travis Etienne, nine carries for a casual 212 yards and two touchdowns. That's real good. Real good. It's to be expected. Number two, as I said on the preview, Wofford kept this bad boy closer than Boston College did last week against Clemson. Yeah. Barely. What's up? up? Ah, barely. (laughs) Man. Uh, I don't think there's anything else to talk about here. Uh, I have an interesting stat, Joey. Go ahead. Uh, Trevor Lawrence over his last two games has thrown seven incomplete passes. Seven? Seven incomplete passes. He threw three against Boston College, and he threw four uh, in this game against Wofford. Joey, guess how many touchdown passes he has? I don't know. Only like 25? He's got six touchdowns and seven incompletions over his last two games. I was told that Trevor Lawrence was going to win the Heisman this year, Mike. How is he going to win the Heisman incompleting, not completing seven passes in two games? Come on. What a bastard. This guy sucks. This guy sucks. This guy sucks. Uh, Joey, in other news, I don't care who they play. War Machine Clemson is way back. Full effect. In full way effect. back. Way back. And you know what? You're going to see it in prime time on Saturday night against NC State on ABC. Yeah. So get ready for that. In Raleigh. In, oh, yeah. In front of the millions at Carter-Finley Stadium. Now, I will say this. Say what we will about NC State. Say what we will about Clemson. This is 100% the kind of game that they have played in the past that NC State will find a way to have, like, a chance to set up for a game-winning field goal at the end. I don't care Uh, what we say about either of them. I'm just – there is something weird about this rivalry game that Clemson will find a way to, like, piddle their way to a a damn near loss. Hey, mark it down right now. It's 8.17 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday, November 3rd, and Joey is calling his shot on a get-right game for NC State quarterback Devin Leary against Clemson. Let's just leave that right there. I'm not going to even, like, defend myself on that. It's it's not – I'm not, but, I mean, I'm just saying history tells us that this series cannot be trusted whatsoever from a behavior standpoint. I don't know what the spread is, but Clemson's covering it. <laughs> NC State uh, just scored 10 points against Wake Forest. What do you think they're scoring against Clemson? Mm, I'm seeing 31 on the spread, and that's not nearly enough. That's not enough. Go bet the mortgage on that. Yeah. Clemson minus anything, speaking of. Um, yeah, that's all I got against them playing against Wofford. Yeah, I'm seeing 31 here. It's the uh, VI consensus right now. Tigers to cover, baby. On the road? Please. Tigers to cover, baby. NC State's defense is maybe a little bit garbage. So Their team is garbage. That's all I got, Mike. You want to give us some awards here? Let's do it. We got to do it. Uh, go ACC member of the week. This came from uh, your Hokies game against Notre Dame, and we, we referenced this earlier. Um, and normally we tend to give these to specifically ACC teams, but for this week – it's going to like an honorary ACC team in Notre Dame. You want to tell them about it, Mike? Yeah. Notre Dame. What are you doing? Going in about a minute until halftime. I, I definitely remember looking down at my app. I was watching a, another game at the time and I saw that Notre Dame had the ball, at the Virginia tech, like two yard line. And it was a, I think it was a tie game. I think Notre Dame was going to be up fourteen to seven, and then a little bit later, I looked uh, down. Actually, it was fourteen to seven, about to go up twenty-one seven. 
Okay, that's right. Yeah. And then I looked down later and I was like, wait, the game's tied? Is my app yeah. broken? Yeah. Devon Diablo, 98-yard fumble return for a touchdown. And <laughs> boy, oh boy, Notre Dame's red zone offense. That is not necessarily something to write home about, Joey. It wasn't good against Michigan and good God, it was bad against Virginia Tech. No, it was an but atrocity. To, to Notre Dame's credit, they made a big play in the red zone when it counted. Ian Book's touchdown right at the very end to seal the win for the Irish. It was the Ian Book redemption drive that we hadn't seen all season. So there's still some good to be taken out of it, but oh, bad red zone offense, Notre Dame. What are you doing? Yeah, that game-winning touchdown for Ian Book, Notre Dame improved to three for five in the red zone that day. Uh, <laughs> not great. Uh, not great. Real bad. Go ACC to you, Notre Dame. Um, <laughs> red zone offense, and in particular that one moment of, yeah, having the ball punched out, not only turning it over, but then having it run back for a score all the damn way. So, so bad. Good on you. Uh, the BBG Memorial You Tried Award, Mike. By the way, I don't know if you saw, but Boston College, uh, or excuse me, not Boston College, uh, Bowling Green is, uh, man, they're like three and six this year. Yeah, they just beat the hell out of Akron, and Akron's not any good, but they're they're surviving. Not not, not quite thriving, but they're surviving. Is Bowling Green a closet coastal team? Ooh, that's them's fighting words, Mike. Oh man, them's fighting words. Oh man, uh, the Brian Van Gordon Memorial you tried award, Mike, goes to Syracuse this week, who really tried to come back this year from like a ten and three effort last year. They went to a big bowl game in Florida and. They were like one of the clear three best teams in the ACC and all this stuff, and now they're pretty clearly not going to even make the 4-8 that they were the first couple of years under Dino Babers. Giving up, again, a couple feet short of 500 yards on the ground to Boston College, a horrific showing at home. You tried to come back, Syracuse, and it is not going well. Not going well at all. Um, I'm just devastated for Dino Babers. Um, yeah, I know that's not a sarcastic. I know that sounded sarcastic a little bit, but seriously, I really like Dino Babers as a coach. Um, I thought he really had this going in the right direction. Now I'm wondering if it was just a decent quarterback that they had kind of tying everything together. And now I'm pretty concerned about his longevity at Syracuse, which sounds outrageous. He's not going to get fired after a season or anything like that. But after winning 10 games last year to regress like this back to basically the program that Syracuse was when Babers took it over is not a good sign. No, definitely not, and and it's it definitely feels that way that this program was pretty completely dependent on Eric Dungey here the last couple of years, and without him, I mean, maybe you find someone else, but it hadn't been Tommy DeVito, it hadn't been Rex Culpepper, it's not going to be anybody it doesn't really seem like, and like you said, a, a guy who's still doing just fine for himself, but I don't think he's going to be in the mix for major jobs like he might have been if they you know won another eight or nine games this year. That's right. So not great. Um so, anyways, you tried, Syracuse. You tried. Uh, Player of the Week, Mike. Speaking of teams that are, are heavily dependent on their quarterback, it's got to be Bryce Perkins. Holy smokes. With nearly, what was it, 500 yards of offense and five scores? Unbelievable yeah. day for him uh, getting Virginia to the win over North Carolina. Yeah, he is, um, you know, if he was there four years, he might be a school record holder in mm-hmm. multiple <laughs> multiple categories. Yeah, he's an unbelievable player. He's the literally the only guy that makes this offense work uh we talked about all the playmakers earlier but you know without Bryce Perkins this is not this is not that good of a good of an offense and not that good of a team so uh yeah 
shout out Bryce Perkins, uh, excellent performance against a defense in North Carolina that, hey, might not be all that good, but they really, really needed to play well, and they found a way to do it. Bryce Perkins was a big reason why. Yeah, I mean, accounted for literally almost all of Virginia's 517 yards of offense in this game. Um, unbelievable day for him. And speaking of which, Mike, team of the week, it's got to be Virginia. They Does. just took took the, uh, the Coastal by the horns here, and they're in stark control. Um, huge win for Virginia. What can you say? Uh, 38-31 in a spot we didn't think they'd win. And uh, instead, they kind of set themselves in charge as things you know, work down the stretch here towards uh, – a division championship potentially for the Cavaliers. Yeah, how about that for a transition? Virginia definitely is our team of the week. Um, back in the driver's seat in the Coastal, right where they were a month ago, back when before they started losing random games. Um, yeah, back in the driver's seat, probably back in the top 25 there. Um, and if they're not, they're going to be close to it. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty good team that is playing up there in Charlottesville this year. And it's going to be a very interesting home stretch here for the Coastal Division. But, yeah, UVA, that's a huge win, and they really needed it. Completely. Um, by the way, before we move on from anything else, um, again, ACC Player of the Week, honorable mention has to be Deami Brown from North oh. Carolina. Oh, so good. Holy cow, he was great on Saturday night. Um, again, a casual, like, six catches for 200 yards and three score like. I don't know what else you could ask for. He he hadn't had a full 100-yard game all year, and he goes for over 200 in this game. Um, incredible showing from him. Yep, he was real solid. Mike, that's all I've got on Week 10. Um, I have one more thing that we need to do here real quick, and we haven't talked about this, but we got to do one more thing here real quick before we get out of here, if you're okay with that. Okay. We got an email. Yep. Oh, do we? We got an email from our boy, Andrew Parker. He writes Andrew in. Andrew Parker. He writes in and says, Privet. And I'm guessing that's Russian, um, and I'll get to that in just a second. Explain why game day shouldn't be in Winston-Salem in two weeks, which would be, again, Wake Forest hosting Clemson. Hope to watch that from Russia. So I guess I'm, I'm assuming that that's a Russian greeting. I don't know. Yeah. Keep up the good work. Love, Andrew. Um, you I'll tell you why. Why? Uh, Penn State plays Ohio State in two weeks. So? They've done that in recent years a whole bunch. Yeah, it's going to be a top five matchup. So? Yeah. Undefeated Penn State and undefeated Minnesota was going to be a great site here this coming week, and instead they're going to Bama LSU for like the umpteenth time. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't have a good answer for that. Yeah, no. It, this is your chance to go to Wake Forest, uh, to go to Winston-Salem and do, and do college game day. It's probably not going to be there, ultimately, just because, again, we can't really have nice things. But I, other than that, I, I mean, we can, again, I'll take a quick peek at the schedule here for two weeks from now. Um, but I I am 100% in favor of that. I, I wonder if it makes any difference if Wake Forest hadn't lost here a couple weeks ago to Louisville. Um, but that's, that's the best I got. Sorry, Andrew. Yeah. A little bit of a bummer. Um, I, I would love that. Actually, no, that, that game's at Clemson. So it's, it's been there before, but Clemson Wake Forest, I mean, there's also got Georgia Auburn in, uh, in Auburn that weekend. Uh, yeah. Oklahoma Baylor in Waco that weekend. <laughs> Oh, man, two weeks from now is going to be loaded. That's going to be a barn burner of a weekend. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm with you. 
Wait, hold on. Am I looking at the right week? Yeah. Yeah, that's not that's not uh, Penn State, Ohio State. I guess that's probably next week. Or oh, three. Well, Penn State's playing Indiana that week. So yeah, it's probably Georgia, Auburn, Wake Forest, Clemson, and Minnesota, Iowa, and Oklahoma, Baylor. But yeah, like, like well, I guess they've been to all these locations again because Wake Forest is playing at Clemson. So, anyways, I don't know. Could be could know. be Clemson. They did it opening night Thursday night against Georgia Tech, so they've already been to Clemson this year, I guess. Say I that. guess that's my bad. That's my bad for the Penn State Ohio State thing. I guess wrong week, but whatever. Yeah, we're definitely looking at the wrong week. Anyways, all right, that's all I got, Mike. Anything else on week ten? I think we're good, man. Want to come back and uh, preview week eleven here? Yes, sir. Got to. I think we got to. Um, all right. Well, in the meantime, y'all can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. And thanks to Andrew Parker, who did so. Um, We really like to address those when we can. So please hit us up as you uh, have thoughts on how your team's doing or if you think we're being being like negative Nancys or whatever else. um, Send us us a good old uh, email, Graham. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Breaker, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free, but specifically on the Anchor app, and we ask that people do so and appreciate those who have and share us with your friends and all those good things. Uh, Mike, do you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts here, Jamie. Please do, please do. Each and every one. Most all of them. them. Most of them. All of them, yes. Most of them. <laughs> Whatever. Most of them. Most of them. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else here before we get out of here? On to, on to week 11, man. We'll come back with coaching candidates uh, mm-hmm. there at Florida State because we got to compile a list show. We've got to do it. We do this for all the coaching jobs. we got to do it for Florida State. Absolutely. We really got to do that. It's going to be a uh, an interesting here finish to the season as, again, the Coastal is trying to sort itself out and Florida State's looking for a coach and Clemson has pretty much already won their division and the whole thing. So, anyway, stay tuned. we got a lot of uh, good content coming here. Yep. For sure. All right. All right. Well, we'll talk soon and uh, come back in preview week 11. We're on it, man. A couple days out. Absolutely. It's only only a day away, as Annie said at one point. Was it Annie? I don't remember. Anyways. I have no idea. <laughs> Somebody email us about whether that was right or not. All right. Uh, Mike, we'll talk soon. Yep. All right. Until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Until then, go ACC. Go ACC.